The following KOPN podcast is made possible by the generous donations of listeners like you. Please consider a donation to listener-supported community radio, KOPN. You can donate securely on our website at kopn.org. Hi, welcome to Food Sleuth Radio, where we help you think beyond your plate. I'm Melinda Hemmelgarn, a registered dietitian and investigative nutritionist on a mission to connect the dots between food, health, and agriculture and find food truth. And today it's my pleasure to welcome Mr. Paul Tukey. Paul was formerly a journalist, then got into the lawn care business, experienced chemical sensitivity, and now has really returned to his journalistic roots and has created a terrific film called A Chemical Reaction, the story of a true green revolution, and he heads up safelawns.org. He has been called the Al Gore of lawn care, and I would just like to heartily welcome you to the program, Paul. Well, my pleasure. Thank you for having me. Well, here's what happened. I discovered you through, I believe it was something that was posted online about the dangers of lawn chemicals. And in particular, there was a chemical that interested me, now 2,4-D, and we'll, we'll get into that. But I want people to maybe see the connection between what we do to our lawns and gardens and ultimately then what we do to our personal health. Now, how exactly did you get from being a journalist to getting into lawn care? <laughs> well, it's you, you don't know at the time. It was pretty magical the way it happened. I actually grew up on a dairy farm in Maine where we used to eat our dandelions for lunch and dinner. And I became a journalism major at the University of Maine. I became a sports writer and covered some news stories and chased police cars and did all of that kind of thing. And at the ripe old age of 29, I retired from the newspaper when they were actually folding the afternoon paper, and I bought myself a pickup truck and a lawnmower and declared myself to be a professional landscaper. And people started asking me, what do I do about my dandelions? They said, well, you call my grandmother. She'll come dig them up and eat them for you. (laughs) And, of course, that was a facetious answer. That's not what they wanted to hear. And I, I started going to the the Kmarts of the day and some of the old stores that aren't even around anymore, and I was buying the Turf Builder Plus 2 and the, the Weed and Feed and not even bothering to look at the the back of the label that said either caution, warning, danger, keep out of the reach of children. I was really focused on making money and started putting this stuff down. I built the largest lawn care business in the state of Maine over three years. I was kind of a workaholic. and But the third year into it, I started getting nosebleeds and blurred vision. I thought it was the stress of running an adult daycare center known as a lawn care company, you know, <laughs> trying to keep all these customers happy. Turns out the doctor in Boston figured out that it was really the products that I was using to kill those dandelions and the clover and all those so-called weeds that are, most of them are edible. In fact, in my book, The Organic Lawn Care Manual, I have a chapter on weeds and we, of the 40 most common lawn weeds, 38 of them are readily edible. And my grandmother used to see her lawn as a springtime salad bar. Mm. Got very, very excited. Of course, most Americans now want to kill all those perfectly edible plants in the name of creating aesthetic beauty. So 
How's that for a long-winded answer? No, it's really perfect because part of my mission, I think, is to help people re-engage with their environments and see lawns as your grandmother did, as a spring salad, but also maybe turn lawns into edible landscapes. But we'll get into that later. You know, you mentioned the chemical sensitivities that you developed. And what I hear from a lot of chemical users is, well, you know, if you use the products as directed, they've got to be safe, right? I mean, they've, they've been approved through the U.S. government. What could possibly go wrong? Surely, if you had a reaction, you must not have been using them according to directions. Well, that's actually one of the biggest fallacies that you encounter, is that the EPA, the Environmental Protection Agency, approved it, and so therefore it's safe. The reality is any kind of a product that has an EPA label on it has a label on it because it's inherently dangerous. And if the product does not have an EPA label on it, that means that it's not dangerous. And and there is a whole classification of fertilizers and pesticides. It's called a 25B exemption, which is nobody needs to remember, but, but the EPA doesn't even require that you label it because it's fundamentally safe. So, again, if you have a product, whether it's weed 24D we talked about earlier, that product has a caution label on there. It definitely says keep out of the reach of children. It has all kinds of other safety data that you should be adhering to, but they put it on the back of a label in four or five point type that nobody reads. The EPA knows that 85% of the people don't read the label. So that's one issue. EPA approval is not a finding of safety. It's a risk-benefit analysis. And they say if the benefits of a product outweigh the potential risks, then they'll approve it. And oftentimes those risks are not borne by the same populations in society. Granted, the manufacturers get some benefit financially, the professional applicators get some benefit financially, and the homeowners get a perceived benefit of aesthetic improvement. But what about all the health risks? And what about the neighbors who don't want to put weed and feed down because they're worried about their cats or their dogs or their children, but they live next door to the neighbors who do put the stuff down and the wind and the breeze is blowing in their direction or maybe they live downhill so the water and the air, everything's drifting in that direction. So I, I call it secondhand pesticides. They're unwittingly exposed just like secondhand smoke. So the, the question that I always ask is should people have the right to poison their neighbors, albeit unwittingly. I'm so glad you brought this up because your film is excellent in that it it does indeed tell a story of one true hero in Canada, and we'll talk about her in a moment, but it also talks about the psychology of the lawn. And so for those of us who live in neighborhoods, and maybe we ourselves are practicing sustainable lawn care, and we're not applying hazardous chemicals, but we have a neighbor two doors down that does, what is the kind and gentle and effective approach for maintaining a quality neighborly relationship, but also stopping his use of those chemicals? Right. I wrote a whole article on safelawns.org about how to talk to your neighbor, and it's really a, kind of a five-point bullet test, and it really, everybody has their point where you want to meet them. Some people want will have children, so you talk about children's safety. Some people have cats and dogs, and 
2,4-D in particular is incredibly toxic to dogs. It's, it's been shown unequivocally to cause more cancers in dogs. And so you say, you know, uh, you've got this guy walking around and he's getting the stuff on his paws and he's licking his paws and maybe you don't want to be doing that. Maybe, if, maybe they're fishermen, maybe they're hunters. And all of these pesticides wind up in doing bad things to water. They do bad things to air. And so you try to meet people at a place where they will listen. You, you can't be confrontational. Initially, certainly, you don't want to be confrontational. You also want to lead by example. So learn how to create a beautiful lawn and a beautiful landscape with natural techniques and then have people come over to you and say, wow. Because I tell you, if you know what you're doing, and say you get a drought, a very, very dry season when there are water shortages and you're not supposed to be watering your lawn, you're still going to have a green lawn if you do it organically, whereas the guys who are on the chemicals are, are going to have brown lawns. So there's a bunch of different tactics. We have all kinds of printouts that people can download at safelawns.org and hand them to their neighbors and show them the movie. That's why we made this film. So you say, please watch this, or at least watch the trailer and watch three minutes and get people thinking. And you may not get a yes right away. Mm-hmm. That, that's the truth story. It may take a while. And in my own experience as an advocate activist for the last 17 years, I can tell you that it does take a great long while sometimes to turn people's heads, but you can do it eventually. Mm-hmm. All right, let's talk about how you went then from the lawn care company that you had, your own chemical sensitivities, the enlightenment really to understand what was going on, the switch to safelawns.org, and the safe lawn, green lawn work that you do, to making a film about June Irwin, really, and what happened in her community in Hudson, Quebec. Yeah, well, when I sold my lawn care business back in 1996, I became a full-time journalist again, except this time I was an environmental horticultural journalist. I started a gardening magazine called People, Places, and Plants. And within that magazine, looking for stories, I heard about the little town of Hudson, Quebec, just to the west of Montreal. And they were the first town, and this was May the 5th of 1991. I have the date memorized. On May the 5th of 1991, they were the first town in North America ever to ban lawn and garden pesticides. Again, these are weed weed and feed kinds of things. And Roundup, uh, Hudson said you can't do it. So I kind of tracked that story through my magazine, just paid attention to it, and watched it go through through the Canadian courts to the District Court and the Court of Appeals, and ultimately to the Supreme Court of Canada, to where in June of, of 2001, the Supreme Court of Canada ruled nine to nothing in the town's favor, saying the town of Hudson had every right to ban these chemicals, and they invoked something called the precautionary principle, saying that if there's a chance that these lawn chemicals are going to harm our kids, there's a chance that these lawn chemicals are going to harm our water and our air, then through the precautionary principle, a town has every right to ban it. Well, those bans started whipping through Canada like wildfire. And first it was a dozen towns, and then it was 50, and then over 100. And now more than 85% of Canada does not allow Roundup and Weed and Feed to be used. And in fact, the federal government has banned Weed and Feed in, in, in Canada. Well, the journalist in me 
looked at that story, which I knew about and I'd been tracking, and I, and I, but I never knew how it happened. And I always kind of felt like, how did this start? And it had to have, there had to have been a one person or two people. There had to have been a group of people who had a heck of a lot to deal with. And I always kind of felt that way. So in 2008, I picked up the phone and I called some people up in Hudson. The first couple of people clearly didn't trust the outsider coming in and asking questions. But I got a couple of provocative answers, and I ended up taking a film crew up there. I said, let's just go up for a week. Let's just go talk to people and see what we find out. And I ended up meeting a politician, Thomas Mulcair. He's actually the leader of the new Democratic Party in Canada now. He wasn't that quite high up in the government at the time. And he's the one who told me about June Irwin and about this woman. She was the, she's a dermatologist, and she started seeing rashes on kids' ankles and legs in the springtime, and she couldn't figure out what plant was causing this. She called it springtime, springtime rash disorder, and, and she couldn't treat it. It wasn't regular creams weren't working. She finally had a patient come in who was so inflamed in April of that year, of, of, at that time it was like 1984, just so inflamed and her, the woman's hair was falling out or, or her toenails and fingernails were falling off. And she did the blood test and traced it to her husband's use of lawn chemicals. Well, that started a letter-writing campaign to the federal government, the regional government. Everybody ignored her. So she started going to her own town. And everybody in town looked at her like she had three heads. And if you see the movie, you know that she's got a pretty interesting personal aesthetic and she mm-hmm. kind of has a nails-on-chalkboard voice. And she's a real pain in the butt. And But, boy, she didn't let go. She went to every single town meeting for six years until 1991 when that town banned it. And, you know, she is. She was seen as a quack in 1985, and I hope what our film achieved is that she is seen as a national hero now. And I know, having taken this film all around Canada and all around the United States, we get standing ovations many times from, from for her at the end of the film. And Boy, if it weren't for her... She really changed the face of Canada and gave the rest of the people like me, she gave us hope that we can do this here in the United States as well. Mm-hmm. If you're just joining us, listeners, we're having a fascinating conversation with Paul Tukey. He's been called the Al Gore of lawn care, but in reality, he's a terrific journalist, and he has produced a terrific film called A Chemical Reaction, the story of a true green revolution. He's also the founder of safelawns.org, and he is the author of a book on organic lawn care called The Organic Lawn Care Manual, and much more. I want to get back to June Irwin, because I, too, read about, and also of course, watch the film, the chemical that had caused such really drastic illness in her patient was 2,4-D, which we know was one of the two compounds that made up Agent Orange, and it is now one of the compounds that Dow has created to develop a new herbicide-resistant crop because the glyphosate resistance, of course, is losing its effectiveness over time, which is, you know, weeds develop resistance, bacteria develops resistance. So the USDA now is looking at approving the 2,4-D-resistant crops. And as a dietitian, I worry about our food supply and, of course, our water supply being contaminated with yet another herbicide, this one truly powerful, 
What are your thoughts about the trends for this kind of technology, knowing what you do about the risks? Well, it, quite frankly, it's just pathetic that we're having this conversation knowing all we know about 2,4-D and how toxic it is, and yet we're going to genetically engineer it into the into our food, so we're going to be eating it all the time, you know, just like Roundup Ready crops, and we're doing that. And we now know, after the government and the companies have claimed Roundup to be benign, basically an, an inert substance, and we now know that that was a bold lie, in the case of 2,4-D, we already know how toxic it is, but yet the government is still allowing this to go forward, and it shows you the lobbying power of the petrochemical industry, and they get away with whatever they want to get away with, and it's just awful. It, it really is awful, and more and more and more kids are going to be getting sick. They're going to be having behavioral problems. They're going to wind up like my son. My son was made very sick by my lawn care practices, he would come home, I would come home, that is, at lunchtime or at the end of the day, and my son would tackle me at the knees with just a little tiny tyke, and he was exposed to my chemicals all the time. In fact, I exposed his mother at the time from conception going forward because I was coming home every day with this stuff, and I wouldn't take a shower until I went to bed at night, and my son came out of the womb with some pretty significant behavioral problems that doctors have said in all likelihood it was due to his exposure to my lawn chemicals. Mm -hmm. And what I ask everybody with regard to 2,4-D is it says caution, warning, danger, keep out of the reach of children. How on earth can you do that if you apply it all across your lawn? Conversely, when it comes to genetically engineering it, so it's literally in all of our food and all of our grains that we're going to eat, how are you keeping it out of the reach of children if it's in the food? It's impossible. And the chemical companies will say, well, but it's minuscule, microscopic amounts. It can't possibly do any harm at those levels. And science has told us something quite different. In fact, very low, low, low doses are actually sometimes more lethal than a large dose. It's very counterintuitive, but it's true. Mm -hmm. And you have an interview with Alan Green, in fact, who's a well-known pediatrician nationally for his work looking at these toxic compounds that we apply to our lawns and our crops, and he says that these chemicals are among the greatest threats to our children. Yeah, because their nerve, they rewire, and that's, that's Alan's phrase, they, they basically rewire who we are meant to be. They change our DNA, they change our RNA, so we're taking away our children's opportunity to fully express themselves. Mm -hmm. And I just want to explain to our listeners that how these genetically engineered crops work is that the crops are genetically engineered to be resistant to these chemicals. So the farmer sprays the chemicals, everything else dies except the crop that's been genetically engineered to resist it. But I was in a conversation I had with a plant scientist. He said, we can expect those resistant crops then to have a higher residue of the chemicals that are applied, which makes, of course, perfect sense. I want to talk a little bit about Alan James because you have a great quote in your film from him and I want our listeners to know what it is and he says, we can never let what happened in Canada happen in the United States. Who is Alan James? Alan James, he's since retired since the film came out, but he was the president of the responsible industry for a sound environment. And that sounds like a warm, fuzzy name of an organization. It's actually the lead lobbying organization for the 
pesticide and fertilizer industry. And so it's their goal to make sure that regulatory, any laws against applying chemicals never get passed. And so in Canada where they've, you know, he fully admits they have lost the battle. You can't apply Roundup in Canada anymore. You can't apply weed and feed in, in Canada any longer. They've lost. He admits that. And now he's saying, boy, we can't allow that to happen here. Now, Canada is 30 million people. We are 300 million people. You know, so it's a, it's a very small industry up there compared to what it is here. And so it's, we're talking billions and billions and billions of dollars and just absolute utter greed that these companies do not want to lose that market share and those dollars. And so they're going to keep on selling us poisonous stuff. And just to give our listeners an idea of how much we're talking about, the statistic that you have in your film is 80 million pounds of pesticides and 8 million tons of fertilizers are applied to lawns in the United States. That's just lawns. We're not talking about cropland. That's over 1 billion. Yeah, it's actually what I tell people is there's so many things you can't control about environmental toxins, but you can certainly control your own little patch of paradise and what you do around your own home. And with regard to the food thing, people need to call their elected officials and say, we don't want genetically modified 2,4-D crops. We don't want that. We've already proven that this technology doesn't work. We have worse weed problems now than ever before because of Roundup Ready. Now, because Mother Nature always wins. And Mother Nature always develops resistance. So we get super insects and we get super weeds. And so we're trying a different chemical. And the scientists and the industry thinks that the way to win the game is by creating a different chemical. Because that one's proven to be dangerous. So we're going to make a new chemical and we're going to use it for 20 years until that one's proven to be dangerous. We're going to pay our $2 million fine. Meanwhile, we've made billions of dollars. So the $2 million fine is an easy write-off. That's how the game is played. What we're trying to say is there's a kinder, gentler, natural approach to all this. You can have a beautiful landscape without using all those chemicals. That's very, very important. We're not trying to take away something that's aesthetically beautiful and aesthetically pleasing. As we're talking, I'm sitting here at a museum called Glenstone. It's a Glenstone Foundation Museum in Potomac, Maryland. They brought me down here three years ago. It's 16 acres of absolutely gorgeous turf that we, and I've taught their landscaping crews how to do this, and they haven't sprayed a single chemical since I arrived. And there are people who visit here. There are people who roll around on the lawn. There are children who live here. We should be doing this in every part of the United States the same way they're doing it in Canada. I'm really glad you told me about that museum because I think that one of the things that we can do to help educate people is to provide an idea of where to go from a tourism standpoint that will be safe for your children to play on the lawn. And so I look at it from not only a a personal perspective at home, but also where do I want to visit with my family? You know, I want to visit gardens. I want to go to botanical centers. But I don't want to expose my family to chemicals there either. Right. And one sure sign, if you look at a lawn and 100% of its grass, there's not a piece of clover, there's no dandelion, there's no plantain, Ask yourself a question. How did it get that way? And I will tell you that here in the United States, 95% of the time that lawn looks that way because somebody sprayed a toxic chemical. They might have sprayed it last week. They might have sprayed it yesterday. They might have sprayed it two or three months ago, but they sprayed it. 
and it isn't safe to walk on. And so here at Glenstone and at numerous municipalities in the United States, the good news is we have places like New York State where it's illegal to apply lawn pesticides around schools and daycare centers. That's statewide. In Connecticut, it's that law is in place from kindergarten through eighth grade. We're trying to get that law passed in other states. There are several municipalities who have passed laws where it's illegal to apply this stuff on any publicly owned property. I was just in Durango, Colorado last year helping them get a law passed where they're going to transition to an all-organic program. Any town in America ought to be able to do this on public property. It's a very difficult battle in the United States to take it away from private property owners the way they've done that in Canada. That's a, that's a real uphill battle. But I think that young moms who are listening to your program right now are the key, uh, not to be chauvinistic, but it really is driven by young protective moms who don't want their children rolling around in bad stuff. They want their children eating good stuff, not breathing in the bad stuff, and certainly not rolling around. Think about the way that these chemicals get to our kids, you know, through their skin and through their hair and through their eyes and their nose and and everything they touch at a young age, they typically sample life through their mouth. So they, if it's a two-year-old, he's out there on the lawn or she's out there on the lawn, they pull some weeds, they pull some dandelions, and they put them right in their mouth. And that's just awful to think about if you have sprayed that property with a toxic compound. Well, your film goes into many more issues that, unfortunately, we don't have time to cover, including sophisticated and savvy name changes, like Chemlon changing its name to you know, True Green, right? And then the whole issue of these companies suing governments for violating NAFTA treaties or getting in the way of their profits. So we as consumers have a lot to learn in terms of becoming more legislatively savvy. And I hope that safelawns.org will become a one-stop shop for people to go and learn more about how to be more effective citizens. Yeah, there are free videos on there of how to manage your own landscape. Naturally, there are all kinds of resources on there about community activism. There are all kinds of articles on there about how this stuff is toxic, including all the scientific studies that prove it. So go there and use it as a resource, and I really appreciate you putting out the good word the way that you do. Well, just for our listeners, let me just recap. Safelawns.org is the website. Paul Tukey is the founder of that site, as well as the filmmaker. A Chemical Reaction, The Story of a True Green Revolution is the film. You can watch the trailer online. You can purchase the film. I recommend that people bring it to their communities. We have, with one minute left, do you want to leave our listeners with a charge? Well, I think if you're encouraged about this, Get some knowledge, go to the site or talk to some neighbors, but then what I call when I go speak in public or I'm talking to folks like yourself, I consider it to be a recruiting mission. Right now, here we are in, depending on the time of year, there can be millions and millions and millions of dollars of advertising convincing us that we're somehow un-American if we let a dandelion grow on our lawn. (laughs) We don't have those kinds of dollars. All we have is each other, one conversation at a time to say, We can't be doing this, and for me it goes back to my grandmother on the farm up in Maine, and how did we go from eating dandelions as a good, nutritious food to wanting to kill them all in just my lifetime? I'm 52 years old. We can change it back. 
which it only took 50 years to screw it up. We can fix it faster than that. Thank you so much for your inspiration. Thank you for being my guest. We've been speaking with Paul Tukey, founder of safelawns.org, author of the Organic Lawn Care Manual, and film director. And his film is A Chemical Reaction, the story of a true green revolution. I want to thank our listeners for joining us and remind everyone that Food Sleuth Radio is produced at KOPN Studios by Dan Hemmelgarn in beautiful downtown Columbia, Missouri. Paul, thank you again so much for your work and your time. Thank you.